0: Well, it's one, two, three strikes—you're at the old ball game.
1: Welcome back to Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pictureless podcast once again highlighting the weird, funny, and bizarre elements of baseball that make America's pastime special. I'm once again joined by the magnificent Brandon Riddle, and we are super excited to bring you another episode just packed with fun and odd baseball stories.
0: Yeah. And, you know, after this trade deadline, I think all baseball is odd. Nothing makes sense. Everything's weird. What's down is up.
1: Well, lately, <laughs> lately, I know I've been trying to work in a different, you know, rotate out the adjective. I went with the classic magnificent Brandon Riddle again. I was gonna do something trade deadline themed, but I thought it would just sound like I would traded you, or
0: <laughs> with a <laughs> co-host to be named later.
1: Yeah, we we did All Star a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Um, anyway, that was
0: fun. That made me feel good about myself. Anyway, what, uh, yeah.
1: What do we have on top? Ta- uh, excuse me, on tap for today, Brandon.
0: So, today we're talking about some classic players, including Shoeless Joe Jackson and Baseball's Original Sin. I love that line. Thank you. Uh, we, of course, have all, our pickle jar and a little story about Cool Papa Bell. And if we have time, we got the round table, but we'll see how we do.
1: All right. Yeah. So, we have. Just just off the top of my head, two of the most entertaining and and striking nicknames, I think, in baseball history in this episode, Shoeless Joe and Cool Papa Bell. Um, And so that kind of leads me a little bit into our pickoff trivia. Uh, You get a little bit of a head start just just knowing who is, uh, I guess, the, you know, the rundown of who we're going to be talking about today. But Branton, can you name the hitters with the five best batting averages of all time? I know that's difficult because we're going to get into some old players here. but Yeah,
0: he's I'm assuming these are career or single season? Career. Just, just okay, like, yeah. otherwise it would be best all Ted Williams. Baseball history. Um, yeah. Is Ted Williams up in the top five? Nope. Nope. Hey, he's not in the top five. Okay. <laughs> that's a great guess, though. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to assume Shoeless Joe's in the top five since we're talking about him today.
1: You've got that right. Shoeless Joe is at okay. number four with a lifetime average of three fifty six
0: list Joe. Um, I know Tris Speaker has a number of hits. He did he make the list?
1: Uh, Tris Speaker not in the top five.
0: Oh goodness. Actually. Okay. I only um, have the
1: top five directly in front of me right now. But while you're you're working on it, I'll see where Tris Speaker's at.
0: Okay. Um, it's it's got to be Ty Cobb up there as well.
1: What what position do you think he's at?
0: Ty Cobb. Well, he's. <laughs> Got to be close to number one, I'm going to say.
1: Yeah, he's, he's number one. Hey, look at me go. Greatest, All right. yeah, 366 for Ty Cobb. Nope. All
0: right, so no Ted Williams, Ultra speaker, but I did get Joe Jackson, which is the easy one, uh, Ty
1: Cobb. And I don't think Ruth's going to be up there. Nope. It's it's one of those, I'll give you a hint uh, in the sense that one of these names actually is... is A very recent addition to the top five maybe not in the sense of you know recent chronologically
0: is it oh okay so not like a tony Gwynn, but somebody who was added to the major league roster as of this past year perhaps Um,
1: perhaps somebody who uh their statistics have just been i don't know what's what the word is uh, included finally yeah yeah yeah, there you go yeah
0: Oh, I should know this one. Then You're it's kick n- yourself. I know I am. It's not Oscar. It's not Cool Papa Bell. Um, oh, I'm gonna kick myself. Who is it? Just in interest of time.
1: It is Oscar Charleston. It is Oscar. Two, oh, yeah. He moved into number two. The one of the greatest center fielders of all time. Uh, the Negro League's great Oscar Charleston, who we actually just did a bit of a profile on couple weeks ago. I don't a couple know weeks ago, yeah. Head, but uh, you can check that out in our in our catalog. But he is at number two with 364. So just behind Ty Cobb. Do we want. I feel like you could still get the number three guy. Number five guy, never in a million years would I guess him. His name is Judd Wilson, uh, 352. I had never heard of that player before, which I feel like, you know, both makes a little sense because he's so old, but also, <laughs> like, you know, you would think that he right household name right. so who do you think the number three guy is he's one of those guys where you you'll probably kick yourself a little bit
0: well unfortunately i just i just looked it up because that we were rather them off uh but <laughs> no I, I consider i always think of him as more a power hitter than a hit right? for average but how horribly wrong was i with uh rogers hornsby coming in number three hit yeah, a 359 for his career
1: yeah and then Trish Speaker is at uh, number nine at three oh, Okay, so that was a good guess. That was a good guess, uh, just inside the top ten. But yeah, so number three is Rogers. That's that's plural Rogers Hornsby. One of the more fun naming conventions of, of his time, <laughs> I think. I think it'd be hilarious. Hey, yo Rogers, yos, Maybe, <laughs> Brandon's, or <laughs> like, sure, <laughs> just throw an S on anything. Anyway, uh, that was our our little opening segue. Get the get the, I guess. Mm-hmm. The, and now
0: yeah and now you're gonna tell us about baseball's original sin which i feel like when you say it there's fog coming up behind you
1: oh definitely i put i put a little bit of mystique into this title so we're talking about well okay so we gave it away a little bit earlier but uh some called him the greatest natural hitter in the history of the game babe ruth actually copied his swing after him if you can believe it it's shoeless joe jackson now if you're listening to this and you're not a huge baseball fan, I feel like there's a 50-50 shot that you might have heard the term Shoeless Joe because I remember, you know, he's, he's, in, he's in Field of Dreams, right? Thanks, Kevin Costner. Yeah, thanks, Kevin Costner. Uh, but in case you haven't heard, you know, who Shoeless Joe is, uh, he did, in fact, play with shoes <laughs> just, just to get out in front of it. And we'll, we'll get to the bottom of his, of his nickname. But like I said earlier, Babe Ruth copied a swing after him, and many people think he's one of the greatest players you know, greatest hitters of all time. But he's not in the Hall of Fame for reasons we're going to get into right now. So, Shoeless Joe, who was he? He was born in 1887 in South Carolina, the first of eight children. He started working at a textile factory at age six. At age six, they put him to work. In you know,
0: factory. I, I often think kids today, you know, they're just a bunch of lazy kids going to school and learning. <laughs> they're just being caught, you put them in the mill. It worked out for Shoeless Joe
1: it builds character
0: oh goodness
1: (laughs) anyway so so yeah he's working since he was age six or age seven so consequently he'd never attended a formal school so he was by and large very uneducated and had a a bit he was known for for not you know for being uneducated which
0: wasn't terribly Um, uncommon at time
1: exactly it's 1887 you know the the family need to eat so the kid you know worked the factory (laughs) um but he did learn how to play baseball at that factory. So the mill, uh, the Brandon, actually called the Brandon Mill Textile Factory, um, <laughs> actually uh, had a baseball team, right? Because that was common in the day. You know, before baseball was as you know so so organized as it is now, you would have factories and mills. You know, have crosstown exhibition matchups, and the workers would all play.
0: Yeah, almost almost like a company softball team now,
1: except better. That is a great comparison that I. Yeah, that, exactly like a company <laughs> softball team, um, except everyone has is, is got like grease all over their face and is like, <laughs> like <laughs> at 23. Everyone's back is broken anyway. So he was playing on, you know, he was a starter on this, this baseball team alongside adult men when he was only 13 years old, which is is crazy. You know, you, you kind of see... I, I, I don't even know, like, how to compare that, right? Uh, Full-strength men, and he's going up against them when he's not even... Or he's just barely a teenager. Anyway, so when he's hitting, he's, he's, you know, he's starting his career here in the Mill. He clearly was turning heads, being the youngest person out there by far. And so the Mill obviously had some local fans. And one of them, his name was Charlie Ferguson, made baseball bats in his spare time. And he made one just for Shoeless Joe. Now, this is kind of like the story of Thor and, and his hammer Mjolnir, right? Uh, if I'm going to get
0: nice, nicely here. done. Um,
1: thank you, thank you. And so there's a bit of mystique around this bat as well as Shoeless Joe and baseball. Of course, you've got. I feel like we have a lot of these little legends like this. uh So you know, it was made from a strong hickory tree, and it was a <laughs> club. It was. 36 inches long and 48 ounces. So, back in those days, bats were massive, right? Like, for compare, just for yeah, comparison today, John Carlos Stanton, one of the best home run hitters of our time, he's 6'5, 250 pounds. <laughs> His bat's 32 ounces. So, Shoeless Joe was swinging a bat that was 16 ounces heavier than one of our strongest hitters today. That's insane. That's just, that's just what baseball was like back then. Um, So uh, a key part of this, of of the bats mystique is it was, you know, stained, you know, dark with tobacco juice. And so Joe gave it a great name. He called it called it Black Betsy. You know, it was like his like I said, his legendary weapon. And he brought it all the way up from, you know, being a kid playing in you know, mill games. He brought it with him to the major leagues. So that's a cool little side story.
0: And that bat didn't break. My good, After all those years think, of being swung, I can't imagine well,
1: that. If it's if it's 36 inches long and 48 ounces, That's I true. think it, it would be really difficult to to snap on a foul ball, right? Like back in those days, guys didn't really throw. Well, clearly they didn't throw as hard as they did today by a long shot.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I guess the ball wouldn't be as hard either. So I guess yeah. it has that going forward.
1: So it, it does make sense. I'm sure he chipped it maybe a couple times. But I also think, you know, he named it Black Betsy. I think he probably took pretty good care of it. That's um, true. Anyway, so that's that's a cool aside about Joe's bat. But anyway, so he gets his first pro contract in 1908 with the Greenville Spinners, which is the lowest level of the minor leagues at that point. Um, He could not write his own name at this point. He later learned how to trace it and signed it. But for this contract, he signed it with just an X. So keep that in mind. Like I said, you know, he's not well known for being very educated sounds like
0: you're putting a narrative together i'm interested
1: i would never put a narrative together Um, now (laughs) fast forward he's 20 years old he gets off to a hot a hot start um you know with his team he's batting a league best 346 he plays great defense he even pitched a few innings because everyone was a pitcher back then too and at this time is when people started calling him shoeless now joe hated that name but like any great nickname it stuck with him Uh, even just after a one-off game. So the reason that it originally, or the reason that that nickname came to be is because one game uh, he actually played in just his stockings because his baseball shoes weren't broken in yet. So he didn't play without, or he didn't play with shoes for just one game, but a baseball writer started calling him shoeless. And even though he wore shoes on his feet the rest of his career, that's what he got stuck with. So (laughs) also around this time, he married a 15 year old, which Yikes, but anyway, so so let's okay. So in nineteen oh eight, that same year he he signed with that minor league team, uh athletics manager, you might have heard him on the show before, uh Connie Mack, he buys this contract for just nine hundred dollars. Um, and he's like, hey, come on to Philadelphia, play for a real a real major league team. Well, it sounded great to Joe, except that he got homesick because you oh. think about it. He's he's from uh, you know, South Carolina. He's going all the way up to a city where, you know, an urban area and he is not educated. He's with a bunch of people he doesn't know. Um, so he bounced around a lot during this time. He didn't play well with Philadelphia. He went between the minors. He had a stint in the majors for a little bit, uh, but in 1910 he actually gets traded, right? Uh, just because Connie Mack thinks that it's one of those situations where maybe a change of scenery will do him well, where he's not going to succeed here mm-hmm. with the. Athletics.
0: And I also want to put a petition out there to call Connie Mack by his uh, full first name, Cornelius.
1: Cornelius Mack. Will I mean, and his.
0: And his last name is fantastic as well. I just can't remember it right now. It's Cornelius, some kind of fantastic last name. <laughs> I would think it's Mackenzie,
1: right, or MacArthur, or something. You know, the Maddie it's guy. not. You keep talking, then I'll butt in okay, in a moment. You got it. You got it. Um, so they ended up trading him to the Cleveland Naps uh, at the time. Um, <laughs> yep. Which, unfortunately, not named because they're very
0: sleepy ball club. Yeah. Uh, named after one of their players. Um, oh, what
1: player was it? Joe. Or, there we go yeah yeah Thank I'm you. not sure not sure if i pronounced that last name right um you know
0: i never am i always read it and i can never actually say that loud. It, right yeah mm-hmm. uh, speaking of yeah. Uh, weird names it was a cornelius mcgillicuddy
1: mcgillicuddy oh that's great mcgillicuddy that's great baseball mm-hmm. name. i really do think sidebar we should go back to naming teams after just a great historical player i think that'd be <laughs> hilarious anyway the los
0: angeles pool holes.
1: You could do the San Francisco Bondsman, and it it wouldn't be Ooh, terrible. Oh, you know, that's that, a good name like too. You have Alcatraz out there and everything. Yeah. This fits. Let's make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and his, so he wasn't playing well. Teammates were teasing him about his literacy. He gets traded. So now he's in uh, in Cleveland. He's connecting better with his teammates. He feels more comfortable because his teammates are a lot. You know, he's got more southern, you know, more country teammates from around where he's from, uh, and so he starts to hit well at the end of his call up in nineteen ten. Uh, so now enter 1911. He's a rookie. His first full season. He hits 408, 408. Now Phew. that for those of you that don't know baseball, really, that hasn't been done since Ted Williams in what 1940. <clears throat> I want to say like four 46. Anyway, yeah, hasn't but, been that, done since the but it
0: has been updated with the addition of some Negro Leagues as well. So I think right. it was done in the 50s as
1: well. That's true. But point is, that doesn't happen in baseball. No. Not not today. Anyway, back then, though. You know, it was a different game. It was more average and contact based. Uh, So it did happen. Um, But would you believe that he hits 408 in his rookie season with 41 steals and he doesn't win the batting title? Ty Cobb hit 420. 420. (laughs) Ty Cobb hits 420 and is actually really impressed with 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 Shoeless Joe, though, which is cool. (laughs) Uh, But okay, so so that's 1911. Next season, he hits 395. Ty Cobb hits 409. Uh, yeah. But Joe hits an AL record, sets an AL record that I believe still stands to today with 26 triples in the season. So different baseball game. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that, that, That's kind of one of those odd stats that, you know, we have 70 plus home runs, you know, as a record, but we can't break 26 triples.
1: Exactly. It's, exactly. it's just a
0: hard thing to hit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Oh man, and it's it's great too because he hits 395, Cobb hits 409, and they talk to Shula's show, and he says, "What a hell of a league this is, you know? I hit 387, then 408, then 395 the last three years, and I ain't won nothing yet. <laughs> like you can't, like it's 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 like playing, you know, trying to win an AL MVP with Mike Trout, <laughs> you know, in the league. Oh. He's just he's just getting getting kind of screwed because Ty Cobb's just obviously one of the greatest baseball players of all time." Uh, 1913 hits 373 gets out hit by Cobb again but he led the league in slugging percentage with a whopping seven home runs so just want to hammer home that it's a different kind of baseball uh, interesting though the following year or two years later rather 1915 so he gets really into theater and headlines of vaudeville show in the offseason and actually qu- threatened to quit baseball for for a life on the stage he actually refused to report to spring training
0: (laughs) nice and and you know for that time i guess from 1915 might be a little bit unusual but in the early 1900s it wasn't too unusual to see ballplayers and managers go and try to be thespians in vaudeville um yeah king kelly uh, i forget his actual first name but king kelly went to vaudeville right after retiring and made a name for himself there so it's not too unusual just
1: you know in retrospect it feels kind of weird It'd be it'd be like, I mean, I guess it's not too far off from LeBron James starring in the new Space Jam movie, right? Like, like you know, just obviously. New yeah, yeah, sure. Anyway, or
0: even with the- a sorry, sorry, one quick thing of Blue in the 70s uh, when he was having contract negotiations, he threatened just to leave the team because he wasn't getting what he wanted and yeah. go work in movies instead. He had a couple scripts he was looking at.
1: At this point, not only is Shoeless Joe not really. As into baseball slash Cleveland right now, but Cleveland's owner is actually almost bankrupt. So he trades Shoeless Joe Jackson and his salary to the Chicago White Sox. Now, what I think is an interesting butterfly effect here is that it was between the, the Naps, their two best players, it was Shoeless Joe Jackson and then Ray Chapman now ray that's a story i actually really want to talk about later but ray chapman's notable because he was he actually died in the batter's box after being hit in the head by a pitch and this happened five years later after the trade so just to kind of think about you know what if ray chapman gets traded instead mm-hmm. of julius joe jackson you know does he end up you know not getting hit by that ball do we because because when ray chapman died we had it it we started using clean baseballs instead of these soggy tobacco spit laden
0: and and helmets slowly began to be introduced
1: (laughs) exactly even though that was a fight of its own gradually so now now shoeless joe's on the white Sox. he's one of the premier players of his time Uh, and now we're getting into where his career takes a takes a negative step things start to go downhill so he starts off underperforming in chicago when he gets there but in the start of his first full season with the club 1916 he reverts to his old self right so he hits 341 leads the league in base total bases uh, the next season uh, the chicago white Sox are a powerhouse they win 101 games wow. win the division
0: and they that's before the boys. 162 games we have now that was yeah well below that number
1: yeah, that's it, it's it's really incredible that they win 101 games. Then they go on to beat the Giants in the World Series. Four to two with Shoeless Joe hitting 304 in the series and making a game saving catching game one. Now, everything it looks, you know, is looking great for Chicago. They win a World Series. Joe's doing good. Uh, dun, dun, dun. World War One strikes. So baseball players everywhere are being drafted. Shoeless Joe Jackson only plays 17 games uh, before he, you know, the war comes for him however he actually opted to work in the shipyards instead of actually going off to the battlefront and he's heavily criticized the chicago papers were all over him
0: yeah i think it'd be more along the lines of ted williams i think right before world war ii or during world war ii instead of enlisting he had to be actually uh, brought in (laughs) something more along his length of that and boston didn't care for that much
1: yeah exactly um but regardless Ah, uh, papers not really a friend to, to Shoeless Joe right now, but he comes back in 1919. However, uh, oh, that that was the other point is is so he goes off to war and it's a career year for him. So he's actually a free agent at this point, point. and he comes back and because of the bad press, it, people speculate that it hurt his his contract. Yes. And the,
0: I, I I do want to point out as well, free agency meant something completely different at that time. Yeah. um, he wasn't able to go to a different team. He was still beholden yeah. to the team that quote unquote owned him. He could just ask for a different salary and negotiate like that with that one team.
1: He was in in need of a new contract is a better, better way to phrase it. But so he comes back and he's the best player on the White Sox, one of the best players in the league. And they give him six thousand dollars a year to play in 1919. Now, he'd been making six grand a year before that. But it's it's again like he's you know, this is his opportunity. He should be getting paid a little more because he's been such a great ball player. Yeah. Um, but only six grand. So he comes back. He's great again. Hits 351, another seven home runs, hits 14 triples. Uh, White Sox are, again, one of the best teams in baseball. They win the pennant on a walk-off drive to right center by Shoeless Joe. Probably would have been a double or a triple if, you know, that mattered. But the run scored and uh, he was mobbed out there on the field. So, nice. but now... You know, the White Sox are winning, but the clubhouse is kind of tearing itself apart. Right. And, and that's that happens, has happened a couple times throughout history where you have a really contentious team chemistry. But for whatever reason, we keep winning games on the field. Right. The White Sox were really bad, though. So they are actually divided up into two, maybe three factions. You have the Hall of Famers, the veterans uh, in this story, I suppose. There's not really any good guys, but if you want to point to one. <laughs> it would be these three. It's Eddie Collins, uh, Red Faber, and uh, Ray Shock. So these guys, all Hall of Famers. The other division, or the other faction, I suppose, is this guy, uh, Chick Gandil, uh, Fred McMullen, Swede Reesberg, and Buck Weaver. Also just great baseball names. All great baseball and names, somewhere in the middle. somewhere in the middle were Shoeless Joe Jackson, Happy Felsch, and Lefty Williams. Now, as the season wore on, tensions rose, and players are... are you know kind of kind of picking at each other and chick gandall of the second faction actually he's like you know what guys let's throw the world series like <laughs> I, let's make we can. We can make... i'm sure it wasn't that blatant i like how they're just hanging out like a world bar series. or something <laughs> hey guys
0: crazy idea but what if we just throw <laughs> the world series oh i like this yeah <laughs> uh,
1: that's funny yeah let's do it um anyway so this guy uh chick gandall he's the ringleader for this plot to uh, to to fix the World Series so the players can get paid because players back then even those shoeless Joes still only six thousand a year they're not getting paid like they don't get paid nearly as much you know proportionally no. as they do today. Um, so this kind of this is how the it shapes up right. So Chick Gandle had seven men with him. He had uh, Fred McMullen, Swede Reesberg, Buck Weaver, uh, Eddie Chichetti who actually invented the knuckleball possibly (laughs) Um, along with uh, you know, Hap Felsh, lefty Williams and allegedly shoeless Joe Jackson. Now these were the eight men out, Mm -hmm. Uh, but those were, those are our perpetrators, right? So the owner, as the season wore on, he had heard some rumors about this uh, Charles Comiskey, but he wouldn't suspend anyone for fear of losing money, which is incredibly an owner. That's, that's quite an owner perspective to have. It checks out. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I you know, these these players aren't making much money at all, relatively, uh, you know, but I would like to point out that the White Sox players were actually the highest paid team in the American League. Um, So I want to do paint both sides of this because a lot of the time. Uh, the story gets told It's from the perspective that the Black Sox were rebels. They're trying to get money they deserved. It's They're the highest team in the league. Yeah, they should have been paid more, but that's just because all baseball players should have been paid more back then. Uh-huh. Baseball players today, minor leaguers should still be paid more. Um, <laughs> so here's what we know. We know that it was actually the player's idea to go to the gamblers and not the other way around. Because a lot of the time they it's told is, oh, you know, the shady mafia intimidated these players into doing it it was the yeah. player's idea first yeah. it, was, it was i mean it's crazy. easy to look at boxing
0: for example during that time and yeah. almost any time and think oh the mob just came to them nope flipped around this time
1: yeah yeah exactly so it was it was players first so uh player driven and now so here's what we know we know they threw the first two games of the world series right however they didn't get paid for it um so they're at this point you know we don't know we're not in that clubhouse it's 100 years ago some people think that they decided to play to win after those first two games but when you cheat it's you know you kind of void your your credibility there right uh, but they end up losing the world series five games to three to the reds now that might you're thinking counting on your fingers eight games but back then we had a longer world series that was best of nine um so they ended up losing right uh, almost an entire year passes joe shoeless joe jackson you know he he gets back on the field he's having a great season in 1920 flash forward to about september uh he's hitting 382 12 home runs uh a gambler comes forward and testify and and actually claims that the Sox helped him to fix the world series and so joe jackson along with two others they get called to to testify before a grand jury uh, now Charles Comiskey the owner once again finally acted at this time to suspend Joe Jackson and six other players uh, you know indefinitely however I think it is funny that the ringleader who who organized all this uh, gamble was off the team at the time he left after hmm. the actually after the World Series itself you know he still got punished but kind of an interesting
0: oh, I love that his name was gamble like if there is not a more obvious red flag
1: I did not even put that together. i already said his name like seven times. Wow, I'm I'm off today. Um, (laughs) But why is this important? Like, because obviously, you know, baseball and cheating go hand in hand. Uh, Well, so this wasn't even necessarily the first time there were attempts to fix the World Series. It potentially happened in 1903, 1905, 1914, 1917. (laughs) In 1918, <laughs> before this, in 1919, so there's there's like you know a documented history that there have been at least attempts to fix the World Series. But what what set this apart and and really made it baseball's original sin, its original you know scandal uh, that al- almost threatened the to destroy baseball as a whole was that this was the first time the public actually knew about it, right? So this was this was huge. This was all over the newspapers because baseball was you know America's game. At, you know at this point. And this is the first time, though, that that game had been compromised in the eye of the public. Um, Now, what about Joe? Because I feel like when the story gets told, a lot of people do like to to, to factor Joe out because he was an incredibly talented baseball player. And, you know, people don't like to see our favorite base, you know, these these gods essentially be brought down, uh, you know, with the. You know, just uh, the flaws of man. I guess mm-hmm. that was a really good oh dang! Look at you, that.
0: the original sin and the flaws of man. We're getting <laughs> I don't
1: know. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out the facts here, right? So we we'll, we can we can make our decision. So Joe Joe Jackson, uh, allegedly, he refused their first offer. Uh, it was ten thousand dollars to Joe alone to to throw the World Series. Now that's more than a, he's made in the entire season. You know that he would make in the entire season. Uh, then. Uh, Shoeless Joe actually admits to accepting a second offer for $20,000. I mean, which is more than more <laughs> than triple. It's more than triple I mean, what hey, make. yeah. I, I yeah, like I can't I, you know, I can't say it's not understandable. Um, but let's reiterate, like, once again, he's illiterate. There are even reports of teammates having to order off of menus for him at restaurants when he goes out places. Uh, so a lot of people like to think, like, is he taken advantage of? right and the thing about baseball is that we can actually go back and you know it's we have long stat books let's see what he actually did during the World Series so in the World Series that year he hit 375 which is great I uh, finished with two doubles and a home run and six runs batted in in eight games however he didn't knock in any runs in his first five games uh, and baseball is one of those sports where it's very easy to do well and have your team lose look at Mike Trout like yeah I'd,
0: I'd be curious if we went back and looked at those games, how many actual opportunities he had to knock people in. Like maybe he came up with the man first once or twice. And that was it until the fifth game.
1: Right. Right. Um, but the fact that he did do well on paper, uh, you know, has has led some people to think, you know, maybe he wasn't actually throwing it. Right. Uh, but my point is, is that you can do well in a baseball game and still drop a couple fly balls like at key moments or strike out in a big moment and go under the radar right because it's it's such a sequence orient like Mm -hmm. based game um so yeah he played really well in that world series but we don't really know if he was if he was you know at least in the first two games that they for sure threw we don't know if he was on the level for those or if he was cheating because he could have done well and just you know sucked at opportune (laughs) moments um so all, black, all eight Black Sox, as the media started to call them, um, they were acquitted in the eyes of the federal law, but all eight were banned from baseball uh, by the commissioner, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, uh, which actually ended Shoeless Joe's major league career. Now, after this, Shoeless Joe, he kept going around playing semi-pro ball, some exhibition baseball, and he was still great. You know, still could play defense, could hit, uh, but he stayed mostly out of the public eye. Um, he ends up moving back to his old neighborhood, opening some successful businesses, inclu- including a restaurant and liquor store. And so just just to be devil's advocate, as much as I hate that term, if you are try- if people are trying to make this argument that, oh, if people were taking advantage of Joe because he was you know not as educated. He still I don't know, he oh, he ran successful businesses, right? Like he was a successful businessman. And that while it might not take formal education, it definitely would would take some level of just cognitive function, right?
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's also very possible he he gained that education later and after his playing days, things like that.
1: Yeah, that's that's entirely true. Um, he ends up dying in 1951 at age 64 after being voted. He at least got voted into the Cleveland, uh, you know, baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, was never reinstated, still hasn't been. Uh, there was actually a bid in 1998 from Ted Williams and Bob Feller to wow. baseball legends themselves to actually get him reinstated into baseball, uh, talking to Bud Selig, but it, it, it fell apart. Um, so I'm, uh, there is a loophole, though, as we wrap up the story about Shoeless Joe. And it's that so MLB actually removes players from their ineligible list when they die. So theoretically, he could be inducted today by a veterans committee. Theoretically, theoretically, Will it could happen. It? Who knows? Um, so at the end of all of this, I have two questions for you, and I'll give my answers too. But do you think that shoeless Joe Jackson cheated? Uh, oh, I put it like that. <laughs> um, you know, he, he hit what
0: 364 in that world series, three, sorry, 375 in that world series. You can't cheat and try to throw the game and hit that well in a single series. OK, I don't I don't see how he unless he did throw the first two games. I don't know. Where are you no, I don't I don't I don't think he did just based off that number alone.
1: Where are you in the in the conversation that Shoeless Joe was taking possibly take, take? Do you think he might have been taken advantage of or do you think he you know was far and away smart enough to know what he was doing at that point?
0: I think the guy was making six thousand a year. And was put into the spot, of peer pressure all around him, had to make a difficult decision, said no the first time, and who knows if there was strong armor in, in the second one or the you know the twenty thousand. You right. couldn't say no to that. It was an offer you couldn't refuse. Um if if I had to say, I think he, just based off that, he would have been pressured into it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that's just my uneducated guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I that's that's still a good guess. Like I, I think he personally did did do it. I think he was in on it. I think he, I believe him in the sense that I believe that he could have been reluctant to do it. Uh, But I think, you know, it sucks. He put faith in some, some bad faith actors, I think, and, and, you know, just unfolded horribly for, for Joe Jackson. Cause he also didn't even get paid all of, he didn't get his $20,000. He, he got just a a small fraction, I think like, like four to 6,000, something like that. Twist
0: the knife there.
1: Right? Like
0: I mean <laughs> at that point you might as well just have worn the wire that buzz when there's a breaking pitch coming or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, or, I don't know, just slap a trash can <laughs> around. Um so then to, to cap this off, do you think he should be inducted into the Hall of Fame? If yeah. you know, because he is he is, you know, technically I- eligible.
0: I would love for him to be inducted if for no other reason that that would become a national story and kind of gets okay. more interest riled up in history of baseball. I would love I would love to see that. That would lead to some great conversations. Yeah.
1: And I think I think I'm with you, too. I think it would be really cool to see Shoeless Joe inducted at the same time. Like, I do hate that a cheater who, you know, maligned the integrity of the game would be in there. I'm So I understand 100 percent I'm being a huge hypocrite right here. Um, but I, I'm just, I get caught up in the, in the myth of shoeless Joe Jackson. You know, this, this is a guy who, when I was a little kid and, and thought about him, you know, I read a little book about him and I just imagine this man flying around the bases without shoes on, just, just laying waste <laughs> to everybody. Uh, he did have the fourth best average of all time as we opened with, which is crazy. Uh, he, you know, in, in his career on base plus slugging is 940. That's higher than both Henry Aaron and Albert Pujols. Uh-huh. you know, like, like he was an objectively great player. And I think that's, that's really the, the sad part about this whole thing is that an objectively great player was really stolen from baseball in, you know, maybe a little past his prime, you know, if not in his prime. Uh, and what's worse though, is that, that the fans and the country as a whole lost faith in major league baseball for really the first time, because this was huge. Uh, and people were saying, this is the end of, of baseball. If we can't trust the, the outcomes.
0: Uh, I'm curious um, if Shoeless Joe, if you know the Black Sox scandal never occurred, and he went on to have you know a great Hall of Fame career. If that would still be a name we recognize, um, that would be as well known as it is today, or if fall by the wayside with so many other great players at that time that most people just don't really know about. But because of the scandal, right. suddenly he's thrust into this you know mythological being that is Shoeless
1: Joe Jackson. I think that he would definitely get. Would be a cut above guys like who who is I just pulled it up uh who's number there it is Judd Wilson then the guy who's got the fifth best average of all mm-hmm. time I've never heard of Judd Wilson until I researched this this article or or this this you know this topic um I think that he would definitely be above a cut above those guys just by on the basis of his nickname is Kickass uh, mm-hmm. and that's something that when you scroll through a bunch of old players you find a cool name you're like hey I'm gonna check this guy out. Now that's a, an incredible, an incredibly surface level answer there, uh, but I, I I do think so. I I think he's not. It's it's kind of a uh, catch twenty two because he's definitely not as infamous. Uh, you know, he's not as much of a of a story without that cheating scandal, right? But right. I think at the same point he is a, a an amazing ball player. He was Absolutely. an amazing ball player. Uh, definitely worthy of the Hall of Fame just based on skill level, if not you know that you know character wise. But uh yeah, it is an interesting conversation. And I would like, I think it'd be cool to, to just, you know, because clearly, you know, like other players who are disgraced, like Barry Bond, you know, not a disgrace, but or maybe <laughs> disgraced from the Hall of Fame, you know, they do right. have, you know, artifacts in there. They're just not absolutely in that main hall with the plaques, but it would be interesting. Uh I think you're right just to, just to get that conversation going again. That's literally about to be it is 100 years old, because 1919 is when they had the scandal, and it broke in 1920, so we're in
0: 2021 now. Yeah, even one anyway. year old.
1: <laughs> anyway, uh, that's enough cheating talk for now. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's getting me a little riled up. What's our next segment, Brandon?
0: So up next, we have the pickle jar, which is always a lot of fun. And the pickle jar topic this week is frozen rope, which sounds like a familiar term to baseball fans. Uh, but I guess that's not always the case. Noah?
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, we were cause, cause at this point we've done, wow, we, this is our 20th episode. Can we, can we just kind of stop and, and, wow, this is our 20th episode? <laughs> 20. We, we, we've hit, we've hit it. That's, that's, I feel like that's, we made that's it, so folks. Big. We made it. Uh, but with that, that, that comes with about probably like, what, like 15 or 16 pickle jars. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's less easy to find baseball slang now that we haven't <laughs> talked about. Uh, But Frozen Rope is is one that I I heard just because this is more one of the more known pieces of slang. I feel like that, you know, because it's used somewhat frequently on on Mm broadcasts. Uh, but I asked my brother Colby because, you know, and Colby has not made a, a, a pickle jar appearance at this point because I assume he knows everything because, well, he's he's you know <laughs> he's played baseball for a long time. Right. Uh, but he actually it stumped him. So what Colby said was he he said a frozen rope he thought was a curve that doesn't curve, which I thought was interesting because that's kind of the the opposite of what we talked about a term a couple of weeks ago, which was pulling the string, mm-hmm. right? You know, on a change of but he said that a frozen rope is just a pitch that doesn't curve. That's why Kinda it kind of makes sense. On a straight line, I'm like,
0: that's great. he's not too off with that. Yeah.
1: yeah, and then he followed it up with something that was even closer and he said maybe it's like when you hit a hard line drive, uh, which is is really pretty much there in my opinion. Yeah. That, that's basically, yeah. basically it. Now, I always thought a frozen rope was a throw, though.
0: Yeah, there were kind of two definitions there. You have the solid line drive that's flat and straight. It's like on the frozen rope. And, of course, like uh, that Ichiro throw from right field, it's on a frozen rope to third base on a straight line and just the perfect kind of throw. Uh, so there's kind of two definitions there. Now, I, I looked around and, you know, for baseball fans, frozen ropes like felt Like it's been part of a lexicon forever. Uh, But the earliest reference I can actually find was uh, March 22nd, 1939. Uh, They were just talking about, uh, let me get up there really quick. Uh, This was a hit. So they were line drives talking about four frozen rope singles up the middle. Like, oh, okay. Uh, Before that, I can't find any reference to frozen rope in baseball. Uh, but there are plenty of frozen rope references out there to actual literal frozen ropes that <laughs> cause injury or save someone. It's really odd going through the old newspapers and saying frozen yeah. rope saved lives. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but in, in this case, yeah, just uh, frozen rope, 1939. At least that's the earliest points I can find it right. being used in baseball. And it is used in quotations in this article yeah. too. So at this point, it wasn't well known, I'm supposing.
1: And It is. I I, I do like it because it's one of those things. It's because a lot of these I feel like are almost tricks to ask somebody who doesn't know because, you know, it's a visual. It's When you're trying to guess something, it's more on the visual side. A frozen rope in real life looks exactly what you would think it would look like. And in the sense that this, you know, you're throwing a ball or you're hitting a ball that is (laughs) literally just on a line on a horizontal plane.
0: I always think of uh, the first backyard baseball game. He actually oh, had a frozen rope pitch and it would just be right. a frozen rope going in.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, those are those are good. Good times. Uh, but yeah, that is that's a frozen rope. I think it's pretty cool. Um, oh, God, they're going to hate this segue. Brandon, you've got a story about somebody who's. Oh, cool.
0: <laughs> look at that cool segue. Nicely done. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So we're going to talk like a little bit. A <laughs> hey, look at you go. We're going to talk a little bit about cool Papa Bell. Uh, now, as much as I would love to give the biography, you know, born 1903, did this and that. I just kind of want to focus on some stories because uh, this man who played in the Negro Leagues for decades um, built up like a legend around himself about his fantastic speed. He is been called still today the fastest man to play the game of baseball. So I kind of want to pick out a couple of these stories. So number one, his name is James Bell. But he went by the nickname Cool Papa Bell, which I'm going to put in the running for the best baseball nickname. Cool Papa Bell. It just flows and it sounds fantastic. So how did he get that name? Well, he was playing as a 19-year-old pitcher at this time. And he was basically signed by the St. Louis Stars. And these guys in his first season put him up against one of the greatest teams with one of the greatest ballplayers, Oscar Charlson. Of course, we talked about him earlier. He holds, what was it, the third highest batting average of all time? Yeah. So this is Oscar right about in this prime when he's clubbing the ball and hitting home runs left and right and hitting 410 every single season. And he comes up to Oscar with the bases loaded. And this is a 19-year-old kid pitching against a legend. And everybody already knows he's a legend. And they go for a while. He manages to get two strikes on Charleston. And a James Bell, he had... Oh, a secret. Whenever he got two strikes on somebody, he didn't throw a heater or a curveball. He actually didn't have much of an arm at all, uh, but he did have a knuckleball. So the, he has two strikes on Oscar Charleston, and he throws him a knuckleball with the bases low with the game on the line and strikes him out. Wow. Yeah, I think it was swinging as well. Kind of ball player. Love my <laughs> knuckleballers. Uh, so he comes back to the dugout and he's just cool as a cucumber, of course. So all the team members, teammates, start calling him Cool uh, Cool Bell. Hey, there goes Cool Bell. Uh, but then the <laughs> manager of the team thought it lacked a little panache, so he added right. Papa in there. So that was how Cool Papa Bell was formed by striking out one of the greatest ball players of all time. <laughs>
1: And what's great is like i feel like at this point because you said he's like what 19 right now yeah 19 that year old such a, like like a nickname that you have to grow into right like like right? call like basically you know a 19 year old kid like hey what's up papa like that's that's hilarious
0: yeah, he had some big shoes to fill by the way um so they, they tried to keep him as a pitcher but You know, honestly, his arm was one of his greatest weaknesses in baseball. uh, But they were kind of realizing at the same time he had blazing fast speed and could absolutely spray the ball all over the field. So he became an everyday center fielder. And for his career, officially, he has 285 stolen bases. But that's just what's officially listed. there are so many other games, where it's the burnstorming or league games, and they just don't have records. Um, he liked to tell the story about how one day he went five for five with five stolen bases, but it wasn't recorded because there was no, no scorekeeper for the game. So who knows how many games were like that. So in 1933, he joins the Pittsburgh Crawfords, and this was one of the greatest Negro League teams of all time. Uh, That's when you have Oscar on the team. You have Judy Johnson, Cool Papa Bell, Satchel Satchel Paige in his prime. Just going around the country being awesome like that. And that year alone, he had 175 stolen bases. 175 stolen bases. That's utterly insane.
1: And the record for for stolen bases in modern MLB is 130. And we thought that was ridiculous. That's Ricky Henderson. This is 45 more. Crazy. (laughs)
0: Yeah, uh, so that year, of course, he's with Satchel Paige as a teammate, and Satchel loves his stories. So he told uh, two stories. Uh, the first one, he goes, uh, "There was one time I was I was playing against Cool Papa Bell. He hit the ball right by my ear, and I looked back, and the ball hit him as he was sliding in second base." <laughs> All right, Satchel.
1: <laughs> and can, can this, we, how how you would how did. To- like like, obviously Satchel Page exaggerates but like can you imagine how fast you would have to be like like it's like he's like the flash on a baseball field sorry (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) and uh
0: the second story is actually true and I'll explain it um Satchel says cool Papa Bell was so fast and that's so fast always comes up a lot when you talk about cool Papa Bell that uh, Bell was so fast he could turn the lights off and be in bed before the room went dark (laughs) <laughs> and that has a grain of truth in it, because yeah. uh, the Negro League, yep, the Negro Leagues, um, they didn't, were not allowed to stay in you know, good hotels most of the time or any kind of hotel? Uh, so there's, they were on a road trip together, and they were rooming with each other. And the hotel room they were staying in had a short on the fuse and the switch. So and uh, Bell kind of figured this out earlier on. So he waited for Satchel to come in late night, as Satchel tended to do, <laughs> and Satchel plopped in bed. And then uh, Satchel heard Bell flip the switch and he felt Bell jump into the bed and suddenly the lights went off. (laughs) (laughs) So that was actually true. He got to bed after flicking the switch and still got in before it got dark.
1: (laughs) That story is just so hilarious to me. And it's also great because it brings up a memory that I have of like Cool Papa Bell was one of the first baseball cards I ever owned. Really um, and it, it was from like a from a historical set or something like that. I probably still have it around here somewhere, but I remember that was the story on the back was he was said to be so fast he could get in bed, you know, switch the light <laughs> off and be in bed before it got dark. And I was thinking, I was like, that's not humanly possible. you know, as a kid, you don't think of, Oh, yeah, there must have been a short or something weird with right. the light. There must have been a delay. But I was like, so he could like teleport? I like this is awesome.
0: Right. Is that how it works? Is that how you got so many stolen bases? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So th- he doesn't have a number of how many stolen bases he had just based because they weren't scorekeepers like there are today at all during that time. Uh, but we do have a little bit of empirical evidence to see how fast he was. Uh, so Bill Veek, who was the owner of the White Sox at the time, um, he was watching Cool Papa Bell run the bases and he had himself a stopwatch. And so he timed Bell, run around the bases and clocked in at 13.1 seconds around the diamond. Now for some context, uh, Byron Bruxton, he has the modern day stack cast record around the bases, and that's 13.85 seconds. So, even with, you know, there's some leeway, say you give half a second for the stopwatch and the issues like that, that's still faster than the fastest player around the bases today. And of course, he did that on the wet infield with who knows what kind of cleats, with his jersey right. flapping in the air and uphill every single base, things like that. Uh, but he was fast, and that's like the only type of measurement we have at the time is 13.1 seconds around the basis crazy and in fact cool cool papa bell was so fast uh, that jesse owens you know the american hero uh, refused to race him when jesse owens was going around trying to race people and yeah. things like horses to make some money uh he refused to ra- to race cool papa bell that's how fast he was yeah And he could also hit, like I mentioned, um, in his time against White All-Stars. So Negro Leagues would go and play against White All-Star teams, burnstorming this or that. Um, He hit 395 against them. So this man could absolutely hit as well.
1: He hit almost 400 against some of the best players. Major League players, yeah. These
0: are all players in the Major Leagues that would come down. And and like we mentioned with...
1: Yeah. And a lot of them now are in the Hall of Fame, too. Like, it's not just, like, yeah. an all-star team. It's, like, a legendary team at that
0: point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, uh, like we mentioned, you know, Shoeless Joe's getting $6,000 a year. So these players <laughs> went to go make money by burnstorming and doing doubleheaders, things like that. So that's where a lot of Negro Leagues uh, got their chops against the white players and beat them a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. So he absolutely right. And he ended up playing uh, in the Negro Leagues from... Oh, the 1913, I want to say, it to – that's not right. He played a very long time. His last season was 1946, uh, just one year before Jackie broke into the major leagues. And uh, the, C- the Cleveland Browns – St. Louis Browns, sorry. St. Louis Browns, not the Cleveland Browns. Uh, they kind of offered him to try out for the team, for the major leagues. Uh, but Cool Papa Bell said, you know, I don't want these fans seeing me as an old man as just a shell of my former self, because I have, you know, too much respect for that. I don't want them booing me seeing his old man. Yeah. So he retired from the game of baseball, and he was eventually inducted into the Cooperstown in 19, I think it was, 73. So eventually, this mystique around him, even though we didn't have nearly as many stats as we do for anyone else, uh, made his way into the Shrine of Baseball.
1: And there's a really, a really cool story there around that induction. Now I, I, whenever I think of the Negro leagues, the first player that comes to mind for me, even before Satchel page is cool. Papa bell, because I just feel like he's, he's a superhero, you know, like, like just everything you read about him. And, you know, he, he also has some great, you know, some great quotes too. So there, so when he gets inducted into the hall of fame in 74, uh, he was the fifth black player to make it into Cooperstown. There's Satchel page, uh, there's Josh Jackie. Gibson, or actually, uh, Bob Gibson, right? Um, no, he wasn't. No, it no, he wasn't. They weren't in yet. It was Satchel Paige, Gibson, Monty Irvin, and Buck Leonard. So there were, oh, he was the, right. he was number five. He was in Cooperstown before Jackie at this point. Hmm. Um, but upon his induction, he was asked, you know, like, are you? Do you feel dis- disappointed? Do you have this any regrets about being? Yeah, do you have any regrets about being born too early to play in the white major leagues? And cool Papa Bell says, you know, he says, you know, they say I was born too soon. I say the doors were opened too late. And what? I just that just puts chills on my arms. It says so much. It does. It does. And it just is it, it really just underscores how, you know, how regressive baseball had been, you know, up until that day, Jackie Robinson, you know, step, you know, made his debut. And I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, we still have a lot of a lot of issues in, in the modern game oh, yeah. and it really just it, it it's it hurts, you know, and of course he he was, you know, definitely upset with it. Right. But like it hurts that we missed out on so many amazing talents that could have been, you know, just so much like household names. Well, at this
0: yeah, point, we, we right? say we missed out, but could you imagine going to see a Pittsburgh Crawford game in 1933 uh, so going on Sunday? So Sundays um, were, were the games yeah. where they played right at the church. So everyone was in, you know, dressed to the nines and it was the town event to go see these games. Yeah. So I say, you know, it's one way to think of it. You know, we, we missed out, but at the same time, that atmosphere and experience they must have had in those days when the days were good.
1: Yeah, mm, I'll rephrase phenomenal. that. Phenomenal. Major League Baseball missed out on on, on including these players uh, because we, you know, we we'd have some definitely would have some more information, some more stats for Cool Papa Bell, but you know that's yeah. Anyway. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> For That's more a, information on the Cool Papa Bell, go to the Pitcher List and go look up the He well, Was no, So Fast you go article. To,
1: you should go to, I mean, yeah, Pitcher List is great, but yeah, and, and definitely check out Brand's article. But uh, go, go to the Negro League Hall of Fame. Go, go. It's in Kansas City. Kansas City, uh, yeah. Bob Kendrick is, you know, he's uh, the president. He curates it. I still really want to go, so I can't speak to the personal experience, but it looks like just an amazing, like even if you don't like baseball, like if you're listening to this for stories and for, goofy baseball slang terms go i promise you it will it will grow your your uh your perspective definitely
0: it'll be a cool experience
1: and we're done all right <laughs> yeah anyway uh we're at, at 53 minutes right now r- roughly more or less it's uh, yeah. about about our time how are you feeling do we do we want to go, go i'm ahead? i'm feeling we
0: could probably push the round table to next episode just okay. for the sake of our listeners
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> who have you know heard nothing but bad puns for the last hour? Well, all right. <laughs> uh, in that case, uh, we are running up on our time then. Um, so, th- if you like this this episode, uh, be sure to follow Short Hops and Tall Tales on Twitter at pl Follow Brandon Riddle at bd riddle and myself at Noah A Scott Six. Uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're currently listening to this right now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> leave a review if you like and uh for brandon riddle i'm noah scott and this has been the short Hops and tall tales podcast see you next time